Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is the 20th of January. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. If you're joining us for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If um, if if you have coffee with me every morning, or maybe we brush our teeth together, or maybe, um, maybe you're literally just waking up and you're still lying there in the dark and you're hearing the sound of my voice and you're saying to yourself, hey, good morning. Now that's me saying good morning. Good morning. Where in the Word are you today? I want to encourage each and every one of us to be in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves. Why is that? Because people don't just need a piece of our mind. They don't. They don't. People out there in the world, they don't need just a piece of our mind. They need the very peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. Uh, And where is it that we grow in that and grow in our understanding of that and revel in that. Well, we do so in the Word of God, uh, in the Bible of the Old and New Testament. And so let's be people who are in the Word, people of the Word, as we get out there into the world that God so loves today. A few headlines before our friend Ben Johnson joins us. Um, Jury selection is scheduled to begin today in the federal trial for the three former Minneapolis police officers who are charged with violating George Floyd's constitutional rights while fellow officer Derek Chauvin um, used his knee to uh, pin George Floyd um, to the street, resulting in his death. And so that is going to be big headline news um, for those of you in the Twin Cities and for all of us across the country. This is a federal case. Uh, And so the question is, did these three officers uh, deprive this individual, George Floyd, of his civil rights while they were acting under the government's authority uh, as agents of the government? And so it's um, yes, they are separately charged in state court in the state of Minnesota. Um, and in that case, uh, I think that the um, the prosecution probably has a, a stronger case. The federal case is going to be a very complicated and difficult one to make uh, because they are going to have to prove, uh, prosecutors are going to have to prove that these officers willfully violated George Floyd's constitutional rights, unreasonably seizing him and depriving him of liberty without due process. And so we are going to watch that and we are going to um, pray for that entire situation. Um, Tonga, I told you a week ago that uh, the people of Tonga were in need of our prayers. So thank you for everyone who's been praying for them. Thank you um, to the Lord, our God. As the ash has cleared and as some communication has been restored to the island archipelago in the Pacific Ocean, uh, some 106,000 people live in the island. It's a it's a string of islands, the island nation of Tonga. And um, only three people died in that volcanic blast that took place. It's just extraordinary if you watch the satellite footage. Um 
And it's amazing. I mean, it's it's tragic. Those three lives are absolutely precious, but it's amazing. Um, there were entire communities, 10 entire settlements wiped off the map. And, uh, and yet reports are from the Red Cross and others that there are only three um, known deaths. Now, that, that number could rise as more is known, but it's a, it's a miracle to behold um, how, how resilient um, and oddly prepared those people were um, for something that the rest of us viewed as absolutely catastrophic. Uh, fears are rising today that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. This is a story we have been following. We will continue to follow it. Um, and so there's a meeting tomorrow related to it. We'll talk about it more tomorrow, but I just thought that I would keep this uh, before you in terms of an international headline because expectations are rising that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. There are currently about 100,000 Russian troops uh, staged at the border. Ben Johnson joins us next. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can also follow him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We're going to ask him about yesterday's uh, press conference uh, held by the president of the United States. We're going to talk about a number of things on the international front. We're going to talk about China. Why should Christians care about what's going on uh, halfway around the world? That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson is back. Good Thursday morning, dear sir. Good to be with you as always, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So um, what were your takeaways? I know, having watched your Twitter feed yesterday, um, I know that you watched the president's press conference. So I don't know. Give us a few highlights and takeaways. What sticks with you? Well, I I guess I I was not as uh, impressed as uh, some of my colleagues on MSNBC or CNN, to say the least. But, uh, you know, it it was a very long press conference. And uh, it was the first press conference in 10 months. So that's newsworthy in and of itself. Uh, I I believe he's done a total of nine press conferences uh, over the course of his presidency, which is less than half than most of his predecessors. Uh, So it was rare to see him in this format. And I I don't think he did himself a lot of favors by going that long. Uh, When he diverted from script, uh, as, as seems to be the form when he was on the campaign, he seemed to uh, go down rabbit trails and get lost. Uh, particularly, it, it's, what stuck in my mind was that he seemed to bear false witness uh, when he was talking about his speech in Atlanta. A reporter said, uh, you've said that anyone who uh, does not favor this voting bill in uh, in Congress that uh, essentially went down yesterday, uh, and, and you know, anyone who would not uh, favor this bill that establishes some fairly dubious voting practices nationwide is in the same camp as Bull Connor. Uh, who unleashed his his shock troops to beat uh, you know black uh, protesters in the head until their skulls busted open, and he said I didn't say that, but uh, he did in fact say precisely that. He said you are mm-hmm. on the side of Bull Connor, uh, so that that stuck with me, uh, and and essentially you're looking at someone who is not going to divert course no matter what. Uh, that's that's what I got from this. So you made a reference yesterday or to something that happened yesterday in the Senate. Um, when you say that that uh, the voting rights bill failed, 
What failed was an attempt to change the rules related to the filibuster, which basically ended the president's bid to pass a number of pieces of legislation. Um, Is that accurate? That's exactly right. There was an attempt to uh, get rid of the filibuster, uh, which requires people to uh, pass a bill if it's invoked, that uh, senators have to have 60 votes in order to pass a piece of legislation. That uh, attempt ended up going by the wayside because two Democrats Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia voted with uh, all 50 Republicans to preserve the filibuster as it is. Now, of course, the the filibuster becomes a, a, a sort of a political football, depending on which party's involved and which party's in control of Congress at the time. But um, you know, this this is something that I think is good for the Senate overall. A uh, little shout out this morning from Jenna and Danny saying, we love the people over at The Daily Wire. They also say, by the way, this is to me, Ben, because I mentioned uh, at the outset of the show that there were some people probably listening, lying in the dark, uh, hearing my voice as they are waking up. And Jenna and Danny say, yep, that's us. So there you go. (laughs) Good morning, Jenna and Danny and everybody else. We're talking with Ben Johnson across a range of headlines. Um, Ben, let's let's talk about uh, China. This is a why question. Why should Christians care about what is now sort of openly being called the evil empire uh, or the new evil empire? Not just why should Americans care, but why should Christians care? Well, you put your finger on why Americans should care with uh, the designation the evil empire, but why Christians should care. I can give you a billion reasons why Christians should care. Mm. Uh, China, of course, the, the most... I mean, it's the most populous nation in the world, home to a billion precious souls for Jesus that Jesus died for. And it's an incredibly increasingly growing Christian nation, not only with the two state approved churches, the uh, the uh, three state patriotic church, which is the Protestant church, and then the official Catholic church, which Pope Francis, uh, I believe, wrongly merged with the uh, uh, underground church to have one recognized Catholic church in China. But then underground in house churches, uh, it essentially is a, a, a rebirth of the catacombs all throughout China. The people truly believe the gospel. And the, it's so alarming to communists when there is any belief in a higher power, uh, anything higher than the state, that they do their best either to water it down or adulterate the gospel. Uh, we've spoken on previous programs about how certain Chinese schools teach that Jesus stoned the woman taken in adultery to death mm. himself and proclaimed mm. himself a sinner. In uh, certain Christian homes, police have gone from door to door telling people you have to take down pictures of Jesus. You can have them in in other rooms, but you can't have them in your living room. You have to have a picture of Xi Jinping because he's the one who gives you your daily bread. So all of this is taking place uh, in a country where the gospel is spreading. We need to be on the side. uh, As Americans, I think that we should have immediately changed gears at the end of the Cold War uh, made made Russia an ally in our war against terror. Uh, it strengthened democracy in uh, in Russia when it was uh, beginning at the at the very outset at the fall of uh, the Berlin Wall in in 1992 at Boris Yeltsin, and then uh, gone forward to economically isolate China and uh, gear everything that we had done toward the Soviet Union toward China and then communism there. I still believe that that's what we should be doing, but uh, I don't know that we. Uh, either have the will or, at this point, possibly even the ability. Yeah, and now China has uh, really strong alliances with other actors like Russia and Iran. Uh, Those three nations are set to uh, have shared naval drills and exercises uh, in the coming weeks. Like, that's, um, yeah, it's... um, 
it's not good. It's not good. Things on the world stage, not so good. Let's um let's take a very brief pause. Uh, there's there's a report out um, related to not only the fact that Pope Francis talked about um, you know pets and the value of pets and maybe the I don't know relatively. I don't know, because they say of lesser value, children, like that seems contrary to the entire Roman Catholic position on everything. Um, but but now people are actually like weighing the relative cost of having uh, versus not having children, of having pets instead. Can Can we talk about why nations need children, not just why we should have children because it's a part of God's creative calling, um, but but the value of another generation as a nation. Like, doesn't that seem like a conversation we could have? It, it seems like one that uh, the whole world should be having. So, yes, All right. definitely. We'll, All right. we'll begin a worldwide conversation right here in the dark on uh, Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> yes, with those of you who may turn and make a baby. I don't know. No, that's probably not what I was supposed to say. We'll be right back. Give me spoke when I teed this up just a moment ago. Um, Pope Francis actually had very stern words um, for a part of the global population last week uh, and or a couple of weeks ago now. Um, speaking to a general audience at the Vatican, he said having pets instead of children was, quote, a form of selfishness and takes away our humanity. Uh, you might not be surprised that there has been a flurry of response to that. Um, all kinds of uh, of opinion pieces out there about, well, frankly, why people are choosing to not have children um, and why they view that as relatively good. Ben Johnson is here. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You should read what he currently has posted at dailywire.com. And that is uh, a piece on why Joe Biden or what Joe Biden used to think about the Democrat Party. It's a good, uh, good research analysis piece. Talk with us, Ben, about weighing the relative cost of having children. Yes, and, you know, the the portion of the Pope's comments that attracted everybody's attention were where he called not having children, I believe the exact quote was, a form of selfishness. And uh, so people have responded in, in very direct ways as though they're being attacked for not having children. Uh, and he, he was very careful in his remarks later on. And, and Pope Francis is not often careful with his remarks. But later on, he said that uh, he wanted adoption to be a little bit easier. Uh, he wanted uh, people to be able to adopt. And, of course, many people who are who are childless uh, are not so by choice. They are childless because they struggle with fertility issues. There are a lot of issues other than selfishness that play into that, so we want to make that very clear. But uh, one of uh, the reasons that uh, this is important, of course, is that uh, those those who become parents realize that you develop an entirely different set of empathy, of self uh, of selflessness, of service, it brings out an entirely more noble aspect of your character because everything about you is channeled to loving and serving another person. That's part of the Christian reason, not not to mention the very first commandment given to, by God in Genesis is go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. So there's there's the Christian aspect of this. You're asking about the national aspect. Why is it that we have a national interest in encouraging children? And you know, the reason is very simple, which is uh, there, there are a couple, but one of them in particular is that children drive economic growth. When you have a contracting population, 
That means fewer workers. That means fewer products. That means lower GDP. And that means less purchasing. So there, there is, it's, it's intimately tied up with the nation's economic power. China's learning this. You know, after 40 years of the one-child policy, now it's seeing a population bust. And just at the point where it thinks it's at the apex of its power, it's going to eclipse the United States as a superpower, which is a pessimist, I have to say, it could very well happen. All of that is taking place where China may not have the manpower to be able to capitalize on this great economic power that it has since accumulated because it has gotten rid of the most important thing, which is the human component. Uh, this is a huge problem because uh, it's not just in the United States. It's not just in Europe. Uh, most of these nations have been below replacement level for decades. But uh, even India is now, it has a less than replacement level population rate. So all of these societies are contracting. Matter of fact, uh, there's, there's a, a researcher online who came up with a clock and he calculated the exact moment that the last Japanese baby will be born if population trends continue. So you're literally seeing nations disappear generation over generation. And uh, that's obviously unsustainable from an economic or a national standpoint. If you have a, um, a pension program like Social Security that depends on having workers that pay for the previous generation, if the next generation is smaller, that means a larger percentage of their paychecks is going to go to the elderly. And uh, frankly, I, I worry uh, down the line with the way that we've devalued unborn human life, what's going to happen when the elderly become an economic burden to the United States? I think part of the confusion. Um, so I'm going to jump to the fur baby conversation because there are a lot of people who have what they call fur babies um, and they do treat their pets as if they are children, members of the family. Um, uh an incredibly high percentage of people will take on debt to pay for a pet's medical expenses. I know people who have endured um, months or even years of chemotherapy and other treatments for dogs who have cancer. Um, they have invested a lot of money and time and foregone other relationships in order to put their pet's needs above their own or the needs of people around them. I think part of the confusion, Ben, is that we don't understand that our pets are not our children. Like, we don't understand yeah. that there's a fundamental yeah. difference between a child and a dog. You're, you're right. Uh, matter of fact, my, my friend Wesley J. Smith, I think, uh, wrote the, the book, A Man is a Pig is a Dog is a Rat, or something to that effect. But uh, the, the idea being that in higher scientific ethical uh, quarters where these issues are discussed, uh, hum humanity is essentially being um, uh, wiped down to the same level as every other form of being. And uh, that's, it, that confusion has percolated throughout all of society, e even down to those who are pet owners. Uh, you're right. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the way that people treat pets is something that people in other countries totally don't understand. Uh, the way that Americans fetishize and, and uh, raise their pets up to the, to the level of a child. Uh, people in other nations do not get that at all. Now, I, I think to a certain degree that's endearing uh, because it shows a kind of a selfless love on the part of the owner. However, that has to be held in tension with what other uses can my money be put to? Could I help a human being and would that be a better use of, of the money uh, or of my time and concern? Uh, and if there's a choice between those two, then you know, that should definitely enter into the conversation. And, and you're right, people simply no longer understand 
the value of having a human child versus having a baby. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, the uh, news service Bloomberg, run by a former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, founded by him, came up with uh, an economic chart showing that pets uh, are less costly than children, as though nobody knew this before. I, I think most people are aware of the, the cost that's involved. Look, nobody is ever economically ready to have children. That simply doesn't enter into it. That's one of the other things that childbearing brings out. Those, uh, particularly men who have children, uh, married couples end up having much more money because uh, they end up working more and looking for jobs that pay more in order to care for their children. So there's an economic benefit to having children for those who uh, are, are particularly in a married relationship uh, who have children. So it's it's a benefit in every way. But, uh, you know, it's it's less costly to have pets than it is to have children, but it's less costly to have children than to let all of human civilization crater into the abyss. <laughs> yes, for your dystopian Thursday, uh, that would be Ben's um, walk off. I love that. Um, and yes, you guys don't need to at me. You know, I love pets. You know, I love my own pets. You know, I love your pets. You know, I love all the pets listening right now. Um, and so uh, and so. What we're talking about is uh, valuing them at a level that is greater than uh, valuing children. And we just want to be clear that they're not our babies. Um, they are our pets, and there's a difference. All right, Ben, yeah. as always, have, have thank you so much. Oh, yeah, Amen. absolutely. All creatures, great and small. We'll be right back. The March for Life is tomorrow, and you may be saying to yourself, well, it's too late for me to travel to Washington, D.C. and participate in uh, the March for Life. Well, if you go to marchforlife.org, you can actually put your state in there and find out what uh, pro-life events are happening at the local level right where you are. We're going to talk about the March for Life next with um, a representative from the Human Coalition. Her name is Chelsea Yeoman. She's the National Legislative Advisor for the Human Coalition, and we're going to talk with her about not only pro-life legislation or legislative efforts in Washington, D.C., um, but the March for Life and how we can be praying alongside those who are marching for life tomorrow, both in Washington, D.C. and in cities across the country and around the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's a common story. Mom and dad enjoy great relationships with their innocent young kids. Everything is going just fine. Then out of nowhere, your teen becomes a monster. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. One moment your family looks like the American dream. The next moment you're spinning out of control and wondering where you failed. So mom, dad, ask yourself this question. Is this really a bad thing? If members of your family are hurting themselves or others, be sure to get help. But if these turbulent times are nothing more than an innocent departure from the family you imagined, you might want to stop and ask the Lord what he's trying to teach you. Broken ideals could be the doorway to an exciting and unexpected future of blessing. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. You have heard of the 
March for Life. Many of you have participated in the March for Life in Washington, D.C. over many, many years. Some of you participate and organize marches in your own communities. Joining us today, Chelsea Yauman from the uh, Human Coalition. She's their national legislative advisor. Uh, Chelsea, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you for having me this morning. Yeah, thank you. I want to talk about all the things that you do um, at the legislative level, but let's start with the March for Life because it is upon us, and there are lots of people listening right now who um, who don't know that it's happening tomorrow and don't know how they can still participate. Yes, well, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. The March for Life um, is a huge event. It's going to be the 49th March, as you know, and it commemorates really 49 years of Roe versus Wade. We're hoping this year is the last year for the March. That's what we're praying for, we're hopeful for. Um, and if you want to join, you can, of course, join online. Um, you can go to the marchforlife.com. They've got everything right there, easy to join. You don't have to fly to D.C. tomorrow, um, but it would be wonderful to have you guys just to participate. Um, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think if you're like me and sometimes you feel like you're alone in this movement, there's no doubt at the March that um, really there are pro-life generations represented. Yeah, so marchforlife.org, marchforlife.org. You can see the speaker lineup. You can actually find um, a a march in your own community, um, and you can participate virtually if um, if that works best for you. So uh, we will be certainly praying for those who are participating. One of the things that it says in here, Chelsea, um, in relationship to the March for Life, is that what organizers are really seeking to do is to inspire and equip those who participate to build a culture of life. Talk with me about the culture of life language. Yes, I think that we know that science, truth, medicine, our faith all leads us, every human, in your heart to the same conclusion. And that is that humans have dignity, Humans matter. Their lives are worthy of protection, even in the womb, right? And so I think Mm -hmm. everything points towards being pro-life, but it's really important for people to to feel equipped, equipped to talk about that in a loving way and to know um, that there's... There's so many more there than just that individual, maybe in their classroom or at work. You know, so many people believe the way that we believe on this issue. Even those who are not Christian um, believe like we do. And so, you know, really just wanting the chance and opportunity to equip us all as a movement um, to really be strong in our beliefs and to know what they are and why. Talking with Chelsea Yalman, she is the National Director of Public Policy for the Human Coalition, uh, one of the largest pro-life organizations in the country. You may not be aware of it. Like this might be um, something that is uh, new information for you. So we want to invite you to visit humancoalition.org. One of the things that you will find um, when you visit humancoalition.org is this. Every 30 seconds, a baby's life is taken by abortion. And there's this countdown clock, Chelsea, and I can't even read the rest of what is on the page visible in the view before the countdown clock expires. And I think that that is... um, yeah, that is a that is a powerful testimony and witness. It's a powerful condemnation of our culture. You're you're so right. You know, it's difficult because 
almost a million women a year seek out abortion. And that's such a high number that it's almost hard to wrap your mind around. You know, we always break it down state by state in terms of like kindergarten classrooms. And in Oklahoma alone, there's 72 kindergarten classrooms aborted a year. Um, lives ended every year due to abortion. Um, and in Texas, that's in the hundreds. And so those are red states, people. Those are those are states where abortion is regulated. Um, and it's even worse, obviously, in some other corners of our country. And so we're here to serve those women. We say, okay, if a million women a year are seeking abortion, we as a society have to ask why. You know, we, of course, we work on legislation. I worked on the Texas Heartbeat Act um, for months and months and months, almost a year now, actually, now that I think about it. Um, so we work to regulate abortion, but we also work to serve women and come alongside them. And most women, they cite really straightforward reasons for seeking abortion. They need help, they need safe housing, they need jobs. They need affordable child care. I mean, this is not rocket science. And so we truly believe um, it takes both. You have to serve women and uh, limit abortion, the supply and demand. And when you do that, I think we can really have a strong society that's for life. Talk with us a little bit about what you're working on right now. Like, what are the pro-life legislative fronts um, that you're working on currently? Yeah, so it is twofold. So we are working on, and we'll be working in a few states now on other states who want to replicate the Heartbeat Act. Texas passed the first meaningful regulation of abortion in 50 years, and that's at the heartbeat. A child is protected, um, and other states, of course, want to replicate that unique legal model. And so I'll be working on that. But then we're also working on another act called the Every Mother Matters Act, and this is also our champion bill. Um, and it requires women to to have an offer of assistance resources and care, holistic care, um, not Planned Parenthood care, real care to stabilize their circumstances prior to their abortions. And we came up with this bill based on the women we serve every single day. We know what their needs are. We know that the vast majority of our clients say, if my circumstances are different, I would prefer to parent. And that's really, really powerful information. And so if we can help alleviate her circumstances through public private assistance through church networks. Um, there's a whole host of, of ways that we do that. We can really decrease abortion by half in our country. Okay. So is the Every Mother Matters Act something that's happening in a particular state or it's happening in several states or it's now happening at the federal level? Like, tell us a little bit. I think this is going to be this news to me. So so tell us more about this. I love them. I love yes, I already is- love the Every Mother Matters Act. Yes, we love it too. We call it Emma, um, and we really believe it's just for women. Yes, it's for women. It's by women. It's our our passion is to help and care for these families, um, and their children and their preborn children. So uh, we passed it in Arkansas. We filed it in Texas. Um, We're working on it. We're going to be working on it in Oklahoma and several other states. If this is something you're interested in, you can go to humancoalitionaction.org, hucoaction.org, and pull up information about Emma. um, And we would love to to get it filed in your state. We'll come and we have nurses, clinic nurses, come testify. I testify. Um, And it's really beautiful to hear the women's stories of whose lives were changed by holistic care. Okay, so that website is H-U-C-O, so Hugh H-U-C-O, action, dot O-R-G, um, and I'm pulling it up. I am going to, uh, I'm going to take a, a much, much more thorough look at Emma, 
which um, you don't know this, Chelsea, but everybody listening knows. Um, Emma is uh, the name of my youngest girl granddaughter, and she is um, autistic and an absolutely precious, wonderful delight to our lives. Um, and we count it a privilege to uh, to struggle alongside her um, mm-hmm. as, you know, as the world is a is a kind of a diff- difficult place for her to relate to, uh, even on a daily basis. But she's very mm-hmm. full of joy. So we wouldn't have it any other way. So um, thank you. All right. We're going to all look at the Every Mother Matters Act. Uh, Emma, for short, at HUCO. That's the Human Coalition's uh, action website, H-U-C-O Action, HUCOAction.org. We're going to continue our conversation with Chelsea Yeoman from uh, the Human Coalition in just a moment. Continuing our conversation with Chelsea Yauman. She is the National Legislative Advisor for the Human Coalition. You can find them at humancoalition.org. Chelsea, um, we have a young listener. She is 18. She wants to know how a person gets to do the kind of job you do. Yes, that's such a a great question because I think I was probably asking the same thing at 18 as she was. So that's always exciting to hear. Um, You know, I went to I went to college and I majored in political science, much to my parents' regret. And (laughs) at the end, they said, what are you going to do? You need to go to law school. I really, really prayed about it um, and took I said, "Okay, God, I'm going to take the LSAT and which is the entrance exam for law school and try to help me get in, try to help me get a scholarship if this is what you have for me. And and he did just that. I mean, he it was incredible how that all worked out. Um, and so I went to law school and I just worked really hard um, and o- went through the next door that was open in front of me. Um, although I tried to really channel those doors. So I interned for a religious liberty group called First Liberty Institute in Dallas, Texas. I really cared about rights. So I cared about constitutional rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and of course, the right to life. Um, And after walking through that door, you make contacts and, you know, kind of guide your way to where you want to go. And so I think a lot of it is going to be through prayer and faith, but a lot of it is also through, frankly, hard work um, and, you know, really trying to to go through the doors. You might not know the end path, but God will get you where you're supposed to go eventually. And all those experiences truly build a skill set on each other. Um, also, hu- Human Coalition hires all the time. So if the legal path or the legislative path is not one that interests you, there are always ways to help serve women in your community. That can be done through your church. You can volunteer at Human Coalition, um, or you can even become a nurse and go the nursing path and or a social worker and serve our clients directly through our organization um, day in and day out. We have a virtual clinic, so it starts on the phone. Um, and then we also have brick and mortar in-person clinics. So there's really a lot of work that needs to be done, um, but not a lot of workers. And so if this is something you feel like God's starting to call you towards, run, (laughs) run towards Mm. um, finding ways to get involved because it really is so few. We're so few who are actually, you know, able to work in this movement. All right. And yet you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. So um, reflect with us for a moment on the failure of the Senate to pass 
um, a, a change to the rules related to the filibuster yesterday. How and why does that matter to the pro-life cause? Well, it matters to us for a few reasons. Um, one of them is that we are constantly fighting off funding going towards abortion groups or um, people who will help women get abortions. And so, you know, President Trump, if you go to familyresearchcouncil.org, if you if you care to be a nerd like me and read up, you know, he really did a ton on paper for the pro-life movement. And in one year, the Democrats have repealed all that and started, you know, siphoning funding in different directions to help Planned Parenthood um, and to help other organizations like them. And so, the filibuster helps the minority party, which at this time is the Republican Party in Congress, to slow the role of the Democrats and to slow down debate and to it gives them one of the few, you know, powerful measures that they have to really stop some of this. And so it's a, it's an important thing. It's a historic moment. Certainly, there's always been a filibuster from the beginning of history to allow the minority party a say. Um, so that this isn't just one large group, ra- you know, railing through <laughs> everything they want. Um, so it is important. Definitely something to keep your eye on. For people who are, um, are are listening and they're saying to themselves, I don't I don't actually know where my own member of Congress um, stands on these things. I am aware of the Susan B. Anthony list. Is that would you regard that as like a good place to send people to check out, you know, sort sort of where their own member of Congress or their own senators stand on these issues and how they might be influenced? Absolutely. I absolutely would. You know, we work as human coalition a lot at the state level, but um, Susan B. Anthony list is grade A, incredible organization dedicated to the good work of um, politics. And so they will know on their website, they will know voting records um, and you can go pull your own Congress person. You can also engage with your Congress person. Don't be afraid to call the office, to send a letter, to send an email. All of those are ways um, your congressman, it may surprise you, genuinely cares what you think. They Mm -hmm. represent you. They need your vote. And the ones who engage with them, they know care enough to vote. And so I, I can't tell you, I sat in a Democrat's office and he said in Texas, um, he said, look, my district is largely pro-life. I am personally pro-life. I want to vote for your bill. But do you know who protests outside my office? It's, it's the 50 pro-abortionists. They're the ones mm-hmm. I hear from. So that's who I'm going with. I think that's really powerful. And we should know that as American citizens, you know, make your voice heard and they will listen. So I heard it described once, um, Chelsea, as as conservatives um, or pro-life people. We are kind of like um, the National Guard. We like rally to the trumpet and we run to the fore when, you know, when we're called. But we don't stand there um, and pursue constantly without, you know, without distraction. We don't press the issue. And I think that's in part what you're talking about. People will show up on a day for a March for Life. They will vote their conscience. They will contribute to pro-life organizations. Um, they will participate when their local church does a you know baby bottle fundraiser or, you know, the world's greatest, um, uh, what do you call it when you have a party and give gifts to the baby and the mom? Oh, baby showers. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we do that, like everybody gives, uh, like, right? So, um, but we're not very good at staying intensely focused and people who for whom 
abortion, not just access to it, but the federal funding of it, like for some people, like it's a abortion is like a sacrament of a religion. And the religion is a religion of death. I don't have any nice way to say that because that's just the truth. And so I think that's part of the challenge we face, because as people who are pro-life, we're interested in a whole range of things, including the life of the child and the mom. Um, and on and on and on. And we're concerned at the other end of life and we're concerned about the ethics of medical care. And so let's give people um, both encouragement and permission today to engage where they are, how they're led, but for every one of us to engage at some point in this conversation strategically and intentionally, because it's going to take everybody um, to change the heart of a nation on this. You, you couldn't be more correct. And I think what that looks like is for people to, you know, I get this question a lot, like, how do you prioritize these issues? I've got these, these three things I care about. Um, and they can be anything. They could be, it doesn't have to be red or blue or purple. Name the color. <laughs> You've got three issues politically you care about. And I always say, you know, especially for Christians, we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know the Bible tells us God knit us together in the womb. We know that we're made in his image. And so God has placed a certain importance on us as humans and given us dignity and value and worth because we're we're human. And when you think about the issues on your ballot and what you're voting for, only one results in almost a million deaths a year. Only one. I mean, the the rest are things we can care about. But in, tor- in terms of almost moral priority, you know, I think abortion is that there's nothing more important or has larger consequences for humanity than abortion. And from there, you you work down your ballot. Um, and so that's what I would just encourage everyone is to really engage on this issue, understand why um, and understand really the consequences of not. You can find uh, Chelsea at uh, at the Human Coalition. It's just humancoalition.org. You can be equipped on this. You can find out um, what action you can take in your own state. You can also check out their legislative uh, agenda at HUCO. That's Human Coalition, HUCOAction.org. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today and blessings tomorrow on the March for Life. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, here's two practical ideas. We, uh, we have a, a, a friend in Wisconsin who has texted in. Our church in Madison is hosting Alpha at our CareNet Elizabeth House, which is a home for women choosing to carry out their pregnancy in a Christian housing plan with medical and Christian mentors. That is a great, fantastic idea. Locate your church programs in your, um, in your pregnancy centers across your city. Um, and then another friend in Atlanta who works um, works alongside a uh, a women's shelter there. Um, I spoke at an event and she bought a table for the women who live there to come to the event and be able to participate. And she bought everybody a book. And thanks for she listening to this them. podcast of Mornings another hour with Carmen from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.